Going Linux, episode 265, 2014 Year-End Review. Welcome to the Going Linux Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, 2014 Year-End Show. Hello, Larry. Hey, Bill. Welcome to the end of 2014. Yes, it is. Well, it's almost the end of 2014. We're recording this a little bit earlier, uh, just so we can spend time with our families and everything. But before I go on, I want to wish everybody happy holidays, wherever you are in the world. Yeah, and for me as well. And uh, we're looking forward to 2015. And uh, uh, let's let's not wish that too soon yet. Let's wrap up 2014 first, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Larry, this is our just our our fun year-end show that we get to talk about Linux and everything that went on in 2014. Well, not everything, but it's things that are interesting to us. And uh, so the first thing I want to know is, where is my Ubuntu phone? (laughs) Well, from what I hear, they're still working on it. And uh, give them some time. They'll get it. They may be a little too late for the market. There's an awful lot of phones out there. I, by the time they get their first version out, everybody else is going to be on version 260. Well, you know, I've I've got something in the predictions section in around there that will address some of that, I think. So okay. let's leave it until we start talking about our predictions okay. for next year. And uh, we'll talk some more about Ubuntu phone, shall we? Okay, okay, okay. But I uh, still okay. want my phone. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, before we go on any further... One thing that we should be absolutely certain to do is to thank our listeners who have listened to us for the past eight years. We have tortured them. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Or they would. They, it's easy enough to turn off a podcast. I mean, if they're well, if they're being tortured by this, it's their own fault. <laughs> well, we do have some great listeners, and yeah, I want to thank everybody uh, that's listened and uh, commented and been active in our. Uh, Google Plus community, you guys, uh, without you guys, there wouldn't be a podcast. Yeah, as they say, you rock. You rock. <laughs> well, um, all right, so let's let's get started with our 2014 review. Okay, before we go to that, I have made a decision that I'm finishing out 2014, uh, and it's going to carry over into 2015. Do you know what it is? Let me make a wild guess here. You've switched distros again. Okay. Maybe that wasn't such a leap. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody knows I love jumping distros, but I never stay long enough to actually eat the dog food, live it. Uh, You know, you stay on Linux Mint and only upgrade, you know, every blue moon. I go through 12 distros to your one upgrade (laughs) and I decided that I'm going to for a whole year and we'll see how long this lasts (laughs) uh, I'm going to use OpenSUSE so I downloaded OpenSUSE 13.2 
and installed it and this one I'm going to use for next year and I'm going to kind of give uh, let people know how things are going usually uh, I would have already got bored and just left or but you really can't get any type of idea of what Linux is like to use day in and day out if you keep changing all the time. Yeah, that's true. And so what I've decided to do is I'm going to live with OpenSUSE uh, and see it's not Ubuntu. Hey, that's mm-hmm. a, you know, mm-hmm. point that and, out. And it's not a Debian uh, derivative. It's an yeah, RPM. Yeah, that's right. It's an RPM. So, you know, it, I'm assuming that it's going to hold together and it won't fall apart. You know, RPMs don't like me for usually. But uh, I'm going to use it for a year, and I'm also going to use it as my primary operating system because I, you know, I have you know four or five computers, and they all have you know Mac, Windows, Linux, and I've decided that that I'm going to use Linux 99% of the time, and I'm only going to boot in to Windows when I want to go play one of my online games that won't run under Linux and it's not Linux's fault they, they've either put some uh, proprietary DirectX or some other stuff that just, just can't get work yeah. so other than that uh, I'm going to be running OpenSUSE and what I did is I recorded a just a short little interview uh, intro about my my install experiences and uh, so maybe you'd want to play that uh, you know Later on in the show or after this, and well, we'll play just... right now. Okay, great. Okay, hey guys, this is Bill, your co-host from the Going Links podcast. I thought I'd do a quick review of OpenSUSE 13.2 since I've chosen this distribution to be the one that I'm going to use for a year. And so let's get right into it. One of the first things I noticed about 13.2 OpenSUSE was that the install was excellent. It was, without a doubt, the best installation I have ever done for a Linux distribution, bar none. Everything was laid out very, very clear. No surprises. The wizards worked perfectly. I had zero difficulties. I chose to use the uh, GNOME version of it because I wanted to try something a little different. I've been using KDE for a while, and I wanted to see where the new GNOME was. So what I did was I, I went right to the uh, OpenSUSE website and downloaded the, not the live uh, images, but the uh, complete DVD, the one that's like uh, 4.2 gigabytes. And then I burned it to a disk, and then I popped it in and just followed the prompts and I have to say, it found all my hardware, knew where to set the mount points, and to my surprise, uh, I just went ahead and let it pick the operate the um, not the operating system, but the um, the file systems, just to see what it would pick. And it picked uh, the BT uh, FS or the butter, and to my surprise, it picked X. FS for uh, storage. Now, I like both of these file systems. XFS, you know, was uh, created by uh, uh, Silicon Graphics uh, back in 
I think they're early 90s and it's a very high performance file system so I was surprised that that, that was the default after uh, uh, telling what uh, desktop I wanted it pretty much did everything by itself I just had to supply an administrative password and uh, username and it did everything else no surprises it just installed it was the easiest install I just can't get over how good it was it was even easier than installing Windows I mean this this was anybody can do it uh, now once it had installed everything it said it wanted to reboot so I let it reboot and first thing that it did was it correctly set up my UEFI it knew where my Windows hard drive was it set up the boot manager it set up everything exactly right I didn't have to fiddle with anything it was right out of the box working um, one of the great things was uh, I was very impressed with YAST they've done a lot of improvements to YAST and it installed all the updates super fast and with no of scary messages about this is going to break this or this is can't find this and uh, that used to be an issue on some of the older open source, but not in this one it just installed everything found all the dependencies uh, wham bam thank you ma'am and it was ready to go well where I usually run into problem was uh, installing Skype and Dropbox because we use those uh, for our podcast and to my surprise Skype installed without a hitch. Perfect. Uh, downloaded it from the Skype website. Uh, clicked install. Asked if I want to install. Gave my password. Boom. Two minutes later, it's installed. Logs right in. No problems. And even more to my surprise, all the sound settings for my headphones, my speakers, uh, you know, where I want. Uh, you know the levels I want on my computer were all set exactly how I would have set them. Well, then I installed Dropbox, and the good part about Dropbox it was actually in the repositories, and it installed perfectly, no problems. This has been the best Linux uh, install I've done, bar none. So, one after I get everything up updated and I get uh, my you know, Audacity installed, and I get Dropbox, and I get Skype. Uh, I start looking around, and one of the first things that come to my mind is how fast it really is. It is fast. It, it as quick as you can click the uh, program to open, it's to open. And I don't know what they've done on the back end, but it's just blazingly fast. I really, really like it. Another great thing about this install was it set my screen resolution correctly the color depth was set correctly uh, I didn't have to fiddle with it I didn't have to go look for a driver it did install the uh, open source NVIDIA driver which is fine and it worked perfectly sometimes I have issues with it sometimes I don't I haven't had any problems with this distribution and you know it being an RPM distro I, I'm good at breaking RPM distros I haven't had an issue this has been uh, 
I just can't say it enough. It has been a wonderful install. It's working well. I haven't run across anything, not one problem, which is, I know you're going, wow, he's making a big deal about not having problems, but no, really, zero problems. It has had no problems. It's even, it was even ready to go out of the box more so than even a Windows would be. Uh, it just worked. And this is a great, uh, a great distribution. Uh, and it's a great release. And anyway, I just wanted to give you a quick update on, you know, why I'm running, uh, going to be running OpenSUSE. Because I, I want to live and eat my, what they call eat my own dog food a little bit more than I have been for the past year. I've been bouncing, you know, back and forth between, you know, Windows 8, Windows 7, and Linux, and occasionally using Mac OS. But I wanted to see if I could do almost everything with a Linux distribution and to use one for an extended period of time. Now, I, I like distro hopping and everything like that. That's It's fun. I enjoy it. But it really doesn't give you a sense on how well it would do for an average person who would use something and just continuously. So I've decided to do that. And so far, I've been running it about three days now. I haven't had a single issue. No lockups, nothing. It just it has just been stellar. So they've done a lot of great work with this. Uh, I would suggest if you're just looking for a, a new distribution, give it a look. I think you'll be very impressed. I can't say enough about how good it is. I'll let you know how it goes through the year, uh, if I run into any problems. And let's see how how many teething problems I have using Linux as basically a majority operating system for me for the entire year. Okay, guys. Appreciate your time. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend and good holidays. And I'll talk to you later. Well, Bill, it sounds like the installation went really smoothly. And uh, if if things work out as well as you seem to think they will, you may just be using one Linux distro for the entire year. Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> but yeah, I, I intend to try. Uh, I will say I have been just blown away about how good OpenSUSE is. It They've made so many improvements. I, I, I won't go into it, but I think I gushed enough during the uh, the little uh, uh, mini-review. But I'm going to say, guys, well, job well done. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons I recommend Mint and the Mate version of Mint and the Cinnamon version of Mint is, well, two reasons. First, it's very easy to install and it's very easy and self-explanatory to use for the most part. Um, and from the sounds of what you've been describing about OpenSUSE, they've gotten back to that same sort of thing. When I first used OpenSUSE way back when, quite a few years ago, their installer was quite simple and it seemed intuitive to me. But back then it was um, a situation where Linux was still not quite as easy to use as it has become these days. And when Ubuntu picked up the mantle and made it much, much easier to use. That's when I made the switch. 
but it sounds like SUSE has either maintained or gone back to a very easy, simple, intuitive installer, and they have made it as easy to use as Ubuntu and as Linux Mint is from your description. So, you know, let's uh, see how this works out for 2015, and uh, maybe that will become uh, a, a distribution that I can recommend for new Linux users as well. I'll say something controversial before we move on. Okay. Installing OpenSUSE was easier than installing Windows and easier than installing plain Jane uh, Ubuntu, but Mint and the OpenSUSE, they're really, really close. All I can say is anybody can install it. And so if you're looking for a distro, either look for OpenSUSE or look for Linux Mint. I wouldn't recommend in, uh, installing Ubuntu over OpenSUSE right now, and I wouldn't have said that uh, a month ago. Hmm. Okay. So. Yeah, it says a lot. Yeah. Good. Well, All thanks right. for the review. That was great. Uh, I hope you uh, they enjoy it, and like I said, it was a lot of fun making. Yeah, good. Okay, I've got a question for you. Yes. Google Drive, no client. Why? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, there are actually a couple of options for uh, Google Drive clients in Linux. Um, Google Drive is the used to be their share. Um, I forget, what was it called before it was called Google Drive? Do you remember? Uh, well, maybe they've no. always called it Google Drive. I think it's Drive. always been called Google yeah. Drive. So uh, it is their um, platform for sharing files and sharing documents and that sort of thing uh, in the cloud. And it has a client for Windows. It has a client for Mac that allows you to synchronize those files and so that they're usable offline from your computer. Uh, and when you make a change, it gets synced automatically. Well, that kind of synchronization uh, with a an installable client has not really been as mature um, in Linux as it has been in the other two operating systems. So um, we've provided a link to a How to Geek article on Google Drive uh, with a few options here. And although these appear to be good options, they are not nearly the same sort of sophisticated uh, client that is available for uh, the other two operating systems. So the first one is a command line uh, command called drive, just simply D-R-I-V-E, drive. And it is not a continuous synchronization daemon. What it is, is you run this command when you want to sync a file to or sync a file from your Google Drive. And uh, so it's it's a synchronization command, if you will. Um, and that is anything but a client. Uh, there is a client that's uh, called uh, InSync, I-N-S-Y-N-C, not in any way related to the <laughs> band, as far as I know. Um, but uh, they, um, 
they charge for this and they charge $15 as a one-time fee for each user account. So if you have Google Drives on three accounts, it's going to cost you $45 US dollars uh, one time, uh, but this allows you to do synchronization. So it is a client, uh, it's installable and it does sync, but it is not open source. It is not for free. So, okay. First, I just want to point out a few things. One, I want the big red button install. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if I can't have that, um, just just off the top of my head, what does Google usually run for their for their backend systems? Oh, that's right. Linux. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's you mean right. you guys can't get together and put out a a front end for your drive. Come on, guys. That's yeah. just being slack. If you're doing it for Windows and Mac and and uh, Android, you could probably just go ahead and do it for Linux users too. You know, we we want to feel love. <laughs> well, from from what I've been reading about this whole thing, uh, some of the folks at uh, Google really disagree, maybe disagree is too harsh a term, but uh, they, they don't um, ascribe to this, the philosophy that the Mac and Windows client have for doing the synchronization, and uh, at least some of them at Google. And as a result, there may be some impact on them uh, providing some sort of uh, client for doing the synchronization uh, because of the philosophy behind it. But there is one more called Grive, which is a, it begins with a G, as in golf, G-R-I-V-E. Uh, it is open source. It is a client that allows you to do synchronization, but it is beta. And as a result, there may be some things that don't work well. It may be an, an unofficial version that struggles to keep up with any advances that Google makes in Google Drive. So it may, you know, it's it's met with some um, mixed reviews, but mm-hmm. it's probably the closest to a Google Drive synchronization client uh, in an open source fashion that's available today. Not perfect, but it's functional and it works as of today anyway, so uh, it might be worth looking into. So I, I'm not saying that there isn't a a synchronization client. There isn't an official one from Google, which I think is your point, uh, but there are a few options out there. Well, you know, I would be worried if, if these weren't Linux users because we all know that Linux users are smarter than the average computer user anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> we like to think so anyway. Yeah, we like to think so. Uh, present company, namely me, excluded. But um, they, you know, the, as long as you have, I guess, a, uh, a command line uh, workaround, it just seems to me that it would be a lot easier and would just make sense to go ahead and and have something that's a little easier to use. I mean, uh, it's good that we can drop into command line and do this kind of stuff, but but why should we have to? Yeah. We should be at least on par with the other operating systems because, you know, Linux uh, is not, you know, something that hasn't been heard of. I mean, Linux is running supercomputers now, and you tell me I can't have just an easy-to-use uh, drive uh, program. Okay. But, you know, I'm not bitter. 
<laughs> well, you know what? If you're really all that concerned, then don't use Google Drive. Use something else um, uh, and use an open source uh, file sync program, you know, like SyncThing or something like that. Or uh, which I've been using is that the BitTorrent Sync. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's come under some criticism for not being secure. And, oh, really? Yeah, and I think that um, sync thing may have a little bit of security advantage over that. Uh, I haven't really looked into depth into these synchronization programs since we did our review of them way back when. So that's definitely something that we covered in 2014 but there are quite a few advances in this area and i think that it bears some review maybe again in 2015 after they've done some more work on these especially with the security issues that have occurred in 2014 with linux as well as with other uh uh, operating systems. I think that, uh, you know, encryption on these kinds of file storage services, as well as uh, making sure that everything is secure in in transit, as well as when it's sitting there uh, stationary in the drive, uh, is a very important part of this. And until they get that right and dependable and uh, with with the support of everyone in the community behind it, I think it's going to be a little bit of a um, a toss up as to which of these systems you use. And you know, Google certainly gets security right in in most cases. It might be a more secure version of file storage in the cloud uh, today, but um, there's still more development to be done in this area for sure. Well, if you really just want security uh, for, uh, you know, online storage, <laughs> I got the one for you, Spider Oak. I had a, uh, a, I guess just what I call a test account, and I forgot the password. Guess what? You're not getting in. <laughs> you lost everything? or <laughs> so, Yeah. Yeah, well, there wasn't much in there. I, that was when I was writing the uh, that episode, and mm-hmm. I was testing the performance. Well, I forgot that password and I only had you know some pictures because I was testing the, the throughput and I tell you what when they say that you lose it you're out of luck they mean it mm. so uh, Spider Oak uh, gets uh, Bill's approval for you know security because they, they really take that very seriously so uh, and just the last thing you know Dropbox had some security issues too yep and they had to fix it. So, you know, having security issues being addressed is not unusual. But, uh, you know, keep your eyes on it. And you probably don't want to be using it uh, first. anything mission critical until they get some more stuff fixed. But it will come. I'm sure it will. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, talk about some of the distro news uh, from 2014 and our take on some of that. You've already talked about OpenSUSE, so I think... Uh, that was a, a great review from a from a going forward perspective as well. But Linux Mint, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, is my distribution of choice right now. And it, it has gone through a few changes this year. Uh, first of all, in the springtime, they released Mint 17. And Mint 17 
brought with it the typical sorts of things that Linux Mint does on a new distribution release. It provided an update to Cinnamon and some updates for the Mate version and the XFCE version and more stability and more improvements overall. Uh, they put for the Cinnamon uh, version, and this is more of a, an update to Cinnamon than Linux Mint, but they um, uh, made all of the settings uh, which were distributed between the um, cinnamon settings and the gnome settings and they merge them all together so that you go one place for the settings which is nice and it's the way it should be in my opinion and they did that with the mint 17 version well in the fall they released mint 17.1 and with that release they no longer recommend the nuke and pave version of upgrading which they've done for so long uh, which means that when they release a new version, rather than a nice, easy upgrade path, they recommended that you reinstall from scratch. And with 17.1, this is the first time in recent memory that they have actually recommended a, an upgrade in place. So they've been focusing on a, a common stable base that is the Ubuntu 14.04 base, and they've been focusing on improving Linux Mint itself and the, the Mint services and utilities, as well as improving the Cinnamon desktop, and will continue to do that until they have their next major release. And... There's no indication whether they intend for the major releases to have an upgrade path as well or whether they will continue to recommend for the major releases a an install from scratch um, scheme as they've done in the past. But uh, we'll, we'll wait and see when they get to Mint 18. But we've got a long way to go before that. And certainly in the interim releases, there will be this nice, easy upgrade, which I just did very recently and i have to say it was painless it was very smooth very easy was it yeah and um uh, they in their blog they provided some instructions on how to upgrade uh and they were spot on there were there, <laughs> it was so easy uh, it was trivial so <laughs> this is a recurring theme around here today yeah yeah things with Linux in 2014 have gotten very, very easy. I think this has been the year of Linux made easy for users, really. Now, I do have a, just a quick uh, question since I, I don't run, run Mint at all, mm -hmm. and I really don't follow it because you're, you're the Linux Mint fanboy here. Mm. Uh, tell me, are they going to still be basing their... Um, their uh, distro on ubuntu or are they going to or are they going to just like settle on a common base and just keep that upgraded or how are they going to do that uh you know without uh you know breaking too many things i mean because you you said that uh, uh you're not going to see anything uh new until like 2016 but i'm sure they're going to have some point releases yeah they will have some point releases and the current Mint 17.1 is going to receive security updates until 2019. So if you want to stay on 17.1, you can certainly do that until 2019. Um, 
until 2016, future releases of Mint are going to use the same package base that's Ubuntu's uh, 14.04 as Mint 17 and 17.1. And that's really what makes it easy for people to upgrade. Now, that's not to say that the 17.1 version or 17.2 or the future point releases won't get updates. They will get new versions of packages, of course. So your LibreOffice will be up to date. You can certainly go and download any backports and that sort of thing. Although they're not really recommending that you go out and uh, install things that aren't supported in that particular release. I don't think that's any different from any other distribution of any other Linux. Uh, I think that they, they'd they like you to continue to use the version of whatever the software is that's in their repositories just from a support and a um, assurance that it's going to work perspective. Um, so all of these point releases will get improvements. Uh, they will continue to use Ubuntu as their base for the foreseeable future and in the 17, the Mint 17 point releases, they will continue to use 14.04 as that base, uh, just from a stability perspective. Um, so 14.04 is a good, solid, stable, long-term support base, and that that's going to allow them to uh, focus on improvements to Mint as opposed to distractions around making sure that any improvements they're making are uh, compatible with any point releases from Ubuntu as well. Now That's clever. That really is clever. Yeah, I think so. Now they've they've looked at a rolling release uh method with the um Mint Debian edition and they've backed off on that as a rolling release and they've actually made it sort of semi-rolling or pseudo-rolling. Uh, they actually curate the uh, updates and make them available once they've actually done some testing. So that doesn't truly make it rolling with the Debian releases, but uh, it does make it more stable, which, of course, is what you want in a Linux distribution that you use day to day. So it is very good from uh, from as close to a, a rolling release perspective as possible. But if you want something even more stable, something that is going to just work for you, then you want to be on the Mint Cinnamon Edition or the Mate Edition or the XFCE Edition that is based on Mint 17 or one of its point releases. And uh, that will give you that stability that you get from being on a long-term support release and yet give you the more up-to-date packages that you get in those point releases as as they're made available and uh, tested to work in Linux Mint. I tell you what, Linux Mint does never cease to amaze me with the amount of projects and ambition that they have in that project. Wow. Yeah, and it's just a small team as well. So, yeah. well, I, I tell you, Microsoft could learn a few things from these guys. <laughs> well, uh, Microsoft loves Linux now, of right? They do. That's something that happened in 2014. Yeah, they actually you can run uh, Linux on their uh, Azure Azure yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, so that's pretty impressive. Well, they've but, they've been able to do that for a while. They've just this year made a public statement about actually oh, okay. liking Linux as opposed to 
Well, I'm Steve glad Bono they like saying it. It's a cancer run. <laughs> you know. Well, they did call it a cancer at one time. Yeah. So uh, enough about Linux Mint. Let's let's talk about other Linux distributions. So what's new in DistroWatch for 2014? What what are the top five distributions right now? Top five. Uh, well, you remember you said we're not going to talk about Mint. Well, <laughs> number it's number one. one. Yeah, it's number one. Uh, now we know that uh, DistroWatch is not the be all and say all about Linux, but it's a pretty good indicator of where things are. So, uh, number one, you've got Mint, and we, after you know, listening to what they're doing, we can understand why they're up there at number one. And then you have Ubuntu. And then you have Debian, which, you know, without Debian, you wouldn't have Mint or Ubuntu. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And then you have my new favorite, OpenSUSE at number four. And the one that really surprises me, Magia. Hmm. Okay. Magia is an RPM-based distro. And I don't know a lot about it. I do believe that it was based off of... Mandriva or Mandrake Mand- slash Mandriva. Yeah, it started um, as Mandrake and then they changed the name to Mandriva. I don't think they forked it. I think they actually just changed the name, if I remember correctly. And then uh, now it's Magia, yeah. And it's a community-based uh, um, Linux. So they don't have any big companies uh, supporting them. So it's, you know, the community makes the decisions. Uh I've only run the very early versions of it. I, I wasn't too impressed, but then again, I haven't looked at it in a year and a half, so I hear good things about it. I Unfortunately, I, I can actually say this. I will not be putting it on my machine this this year. I might put it in a VM, though. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> yeah, because that would be kind of a... Uh, well, I have run OpenSUSE for... Two days, and then I put Magi on it. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, there's a, a something interesting going on with Debian. And do you know some, some about it being forked and its name? Do you know anything about that? Yeah. So the folks that forked it are calling it Dev1, D-E-V-U-A-N, which according to the information they publicized on it. It's not Devuan, as you might uh, think. It's actually supposed to be pronounced Dev1. As a result, this fork of Debian is meant to be a Linux distribution that does not use Systemd, which of course is what Debian has chosen to use. Now, is that they just, uh, so Dev1 won't have Systemd in it, uh, I, I've heard some. I haven't read everything, but I, something about uh, uh, certain people don't like System D because they say it's, uh, it's it does too tries to do too many things at once, um, and it's it, they do uh, acknowledge that they need something, but they say System D is not what they need. It's, it's too complex. It would cause uh, compatibility problems. Uh, I really don't know. Uh, I haven't read enough to have an informed decision, but I, I'm going to read more on it. But it's very interesting with Linux uh, that if you don't like something, uh, you can always fork it and keep on going. 
So I am certainly no expert in any of these things, Bill, but my understanding is that the original init system, which allows your computer system to go through the boot process, uh, is something that has been in place for quite a long time and uses the Unix philosophy of small pieces of software with a specific purpose and focused on doing that purpose well. Whereas System D is more a unified initialization system. And from what I understand, its intent, at least the developer's intent, is to make it a huge unified system that without system D, you can't do anything in your Linux system. Uh, again, I'm not an expert. I don't know all of the details, but I think that's the foundation of the arguments against system D is that it is something that will essentially take over uh, Linux in its entirety uh, when, when you're using system D as the initializer for your system um, it is backed by Red Hat or and perhaps even originally developed by the folks at Red Hat. And I've heard it said that, and, and take that for what it's worth, heard it said, it's hearsay, right? But I've heard it said that uh, it, if System D is taken to its ultimate conclusion, um, every Linux distribution will be essentially Red Hat when it's finished. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I don't know whether that's taking it too far, but that's the fear. And so that's the the crux of the argument against System D. Well, since we're already talking about Red Hat, Red Hat and Scent have decided to work uh, a little closer together. You know, Scent uh, OS was the community-supported uh, version of Red Hat Enterprise. Mm -hmm. They basically stripped out all the trademarks and and uh, other intellectual property that Red Hat owned. Right. And people that couldn't afford the licensing fees for Red Hat could run CentOS and basically have a Red Hat Enterprise system. And a lot of people uh, were using CentOS because, you know, well, Red Hat's just you know, for enterprises, just bulletproof. And I think Red Hat saw the writing on the wall and said, you know what, we can probably help Scent and make some money in the process. Because if I'm not too badly mistaken, I've heard that you can say you were running a Scent uh, system and you you finally decided that you wanted to get a Red Hat license that... They could actually go in and very easily make it a fully fledged Red Hat system by just using a few scripts. Now I don't know if that's a, you know true or not, but it would seem that if CentOS is based on Red Hat Enterprise, it should be a pretty simple uh, process of supporting it and uh, getting it up to speed. Right. What do you think? Yeah, so you and I have talked about um, CentOS uh, offline as well, and we were talking about um, certifications and so on. And uh, certainly, Red Hat certification is is a 
desired certification in the Linux world. Uh, it is not the only certification out there by any stretch, but it is certainly one that is recognized because Red Hat is one of the most popular um, Linux distributions for the enterprise and for servers out there. And uh, we've talked about the fact that CentOS is functionally compatible with Red Hat Enterprise Linux. As you said, they've just stripped out all the branding and all of the proprietary stuff, and it, it is, for all intents and purposes, a, a generic version of Red Hat. Uh, and yeah, it's it's easy to switch between the two. And in fact, if you uh, want to take your certification and learn Red Hat, um, you could use CentOS for doing that. I don't think there are any issues with um, uh, using CentOS, at least I'm not aware of any, uh, as your system for practicing for the certifications uh, and for learning about the system from the ground up. Uh, it, it is a great way of inexpensively uh, learning about how to administer a Linux server that is a Red Hat server without having to fork over for all the support uh, and maintenance and so on that goes along with um, acquiring a Red Hat Enterprise license. Um, okay. Yeah, so and it's good to know that in 2014, and it was early in the year that CentOS and Red Hat joined forces uh, officially, uh, even though I think it was unofficial before that, that there was, uh, uh, you know, a lot of um, um, work going back and forth between the two, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, it sounds like it's a win-win for everybody, so. I think I'm so. Kinda, I think I'm so. I'm kind of anxious to see how it goes. Okay, Larry, let me ask you a question see if you've heard about this. Netflix on Linux. Have we made any progress? Ah, uh, yes. 2014 brought Netflix natively to Linux. Well, sort of. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, we've had some posts in our... Um, Going Linux Google Plus community on Netflix. Thanks, uh, Ken, for providing that link. And we've also got a link in our show notes here about Netflix coming to Linux by way of Ubuntu and Google Chrome. So the no critical open thing... Source? What? Get it fixed now. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you uh, need to be running Chrome... Uh, 37 or later, and it is supported on up-to-date versions of Ubuntu Linux. I don't know whether it actually works on OpenSUSE or not. Have you tried it yet? When you're uh, two or Larry, three days I've, in? Uh, I've only been <laughs> <laughs> running for two days. Come on, cut yeah, me a break. Hey, hey. hey. <laughs> what have you been doing in these past two days? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, it's it's amazing that it's still on the machine, okay? That's it's, true. You know, working on a new world record here, so <laughs> you know, cut me a slack. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's great. At least some Linux users can uh, look at Netflix. Uh, I, when I had it, I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the reasons that I stopped paying for it is that at the time they said absolutely positively no way we're going to support it for Linux. <laughs> yeah. So, so I said, well, absolutely positively you're not going to get any money from me. <laughs> okay. It's not open source Netflix uh, and no. it is something that has DRM. 
in it. So again, you need to uh, check your uh, uh, freedom credentials at the door if you want to start using Netflix on Linux. Uh, and if you are someone who is adamant about free as in freedom software, then Netflix is probably not something you're even interested in. But for those of us who are, uh, there is a way to run it. And if you're running Ubuntu or a, an Ubuntu derivative like Linux Mint, you can check out our link uh, to the PC World article on Netflix comes to Linux, um, or you can check out the information that we have in our Google Plus community on that. And yeah. uh, yet another progressive move for Linux in 2014. Well, you know, Larry, you know, we uh, uh, don't podcast in a vacuum and there's a lot of great podcasts out there i thought maybe we'd just give them a shout out because with every all these different podcasts i I believe that you know we might not have a direct but we have an indirect uh, uh ability to to people to keep linux in people's minds so i just want to say uh that you know a couple good podcasts that i like to listen to was uh, Links and Ham Shack, of course, you know, in a ham, so uh, that's always a good one. Now, I haven't listened to them recently. I, I don't know if they're still on sabbatical or not. Nope, nope, but, they're back. They're okay. back. Okay. Yeah. And uh, also, I would have to say uh, Podnuts and uh, our friend uh, Nightwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry about that jet engine last year. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. you know, these, got, these guys... Um, you know they form a real a good close knit community they're they're a lot of fun to be around and uh to talk to so uh, I would just like to say, hey guys, we had a great time in two thousand fourteen. I look to forward to see what's going to happen in two thousand fifteen. Do you have any podcasts that you know you just want to say hey, thanks for everything because you know nightwise has always been so good, yeah, and he's provided us some updates uh for our show as well and we appreciate that and uh he's asked me to remind him to provide them and i have been i have been uh remiss at reminding him <laughs> and that's why we haven't had any updates from him lately but uh let's just go down the list of some of the um linux podcasts that i listen to and okay. maybe others would be interested in these as well so uh, the folks over at Jupiter Broadcasting, um, there's a couple there that I listen to. Linux Unplugged, yeah. a good uh, a good uh, podcast from Chris Fisher and his good folks over there. The Linux Action Show, of course, is yeah. the other one I listen to from those guys. Uh, let's go down my list here. Uh, let's see. I've got some marketing podcasts. Uh, I'm I'm going down my podcast player here. Uh, there's something called Going Linux. I subscribe to that one. I've never heard of uh, them. Yeah, let's see. Um, uh, Allison Sheridan over at the Nocilla cast, although she uh, talks mostly about things other than Linux. Every once in a while, she talks about Linux. Um, let's see. Linux Pract- Outlaws. Linux Outlaws, of course. Uh, Practical Chrome. Um, that's a Chrome um, podcast. And they haven't put anything out since September, so I'm wondering if they're still around or whether my feed has stopped updating or something. But, of course, the Chrome operating system is based on Linux, so that's fine. Mintcast, 
a bunch of good guys there. Uh, Ubuntu podcast, the UK podcast. Uh, yeah, they're fun. Yeah, good good folks. Um, and I'll just throw another one out. Uh, uh, Twit, you know, he sometimes he uh, has some like uh, shows, um, and uh, he's kind of a, he he's professional. He's definitely uh, got the the studio and everything. But you know, Leo Laporte, he's he he can be fun to listen to. Right, not always Linux, but the the one. Um, show in his um, catalog that does focus on open source is Floss Weekly, uh, and it has nothing to do with dental hygiene. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Linux Link Tech Show, uh, those guys are still around. The, yes. the, the the dinosaurs of Linux podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> hey, when you come send the hit team after. Uh, Larry, I, I don't live anywhere near him. <laughs> so those are some of the ones that I listen to. In fact, those are all of the ones that I listen to on a regular basis that are Linux related. And yeah. um, there may be more out there, but uh, if you want me to listen to yours, uh, send me a link. <laughs> I'll <laughs> yeah, give it a listen. I, yeah, I've, yeah. I've looked for lots of Linux uh, podcasts, and unfortunately, there are only so many hours in a day that are podcast listening hours. So if I take on one more, I'm going to have to drop something. So yeah. I don't know. But you know, like I said, there's a lot of great people putting out a lot of uh, good content. Absolutely. And uh, so we'd like to give them a shout-out once in a while just to, you know, we want you to listen to us, of course, but there's other people out there. Now, I am going to bring up, uh, to the forefront a distribution that I think has done a lot this year and has come a long way. And I'll give you a guess of what it is. Sonar. So we got Sonar Linux, and they've come a long way in the accessibility. Jonathan Nadu has been working hard, and... Uh, I know that he's had some developers working on certain pieces of it, and was he? Ch- uh, what's he got planned for 2015? Hmm. Do you know? So, are we getting into our predictions? <laughs> no, no. I guess, I guess what I say is he's done so much in 2014. You know, get getting things set up, improving the look. You know, working on voices. You know, it's kind of. You know, he seems to just be all over accessibility and I was kind of curious where he's going to go with from 2014 to 2015 with this. Yeah, so Jonathan, yeah, has in 2014 uh, gotten Sonar listed on um, DistroWatch, which is a cool thing. He has now a uh, an official uh, getting started guide that's on the website and has continued to develop the um, uh, the the operating system as well as its support for accessibility and continues to make improvements on those things for 2014 and beyond. So as you mentioned, looking at possibility of including new voices into the uh, Orca screen reader, looking at a um, speech synthesizer program to add in th- his New lead developer in 2014, Kyle, um, was brought on. And uh, Kyle Broward is the computer builder and technical support specialist. He has made some substantial improvements, which 
Jonathan was hoping to release uh, last month in November, and I haven't seen it released yet, so I think it's still underway. And uh, Jonathan's been involved in a number of different not-for-profit kinds of projects, so I think uh, his attention is maybe elsewhere, and maybe some of the development is, is lagging behind a bit at this point, maybe as a result of that or maybe not, but... Um, I anticipate that in 2015, all of the uh, updates that were expected uh, in the fall will be implemented, including those new voices and improvements to uh, some of the online training that might be available for them and extending some of the other things that uh, have been done in 2014, like the getting started guide, uh, new backgrounds, that sort of thing. Well, you know, another change uh, that we're going to have this year uh, that's specifically about you is that you have now retired from Commuter America. Is that right? Yeah, that's something that happened in 2014 or will have happened in 2014. We're recording this before my last appearance on Computer America in December, but December will be my last appearance officially as their uh, Computer America correspondent. Now, we've had a number of mixed reviews uh, on the Computer America episodes, especially from folks over in Europe who uh, have a little different view of broadcast radio. And of course, Computer America uh, is a broadcast radio um, show that in the North America tradition of broadcast radio is interrupted periodically and frequently by commercial breaks. And although uh, I have been editing editing those out for quite some time, it still breaks up the flow of things. And so most of the criticism from folks who say they really don't like the Computer America episodes have been around two things, the commercial breaks and the very high-level treatment that Linux gets or has been getting on Computer America. We really didn't dive into any of the topics in any sort of depth, except when um, Charles Tendell was Craig Crossman's co-host. And since he's a Linux user and a security expert, we were able to get into a lot more depth. And uh, I agree with the listeners that when Charles was on the show, it was a lot more interesting from a Linux technology perspective, because we could simply get into those kinds of conversations. Craig and his current co-host, his son Ben, are not really Linux users, and so I had to keep the content fairly high level, and I had to do most of the talking simply because they couldn't get engaged at a deeper level. But um, uh, the... Time pressures of my job, my 9-to-5 job, as well as the lack of interest from about half of our listeners in Computer America uh, have caused me to decide not to continue to invest the time. Uh, I really appreciate the time that Craig has given me on Computer America for the past seven years. It's been a great way to ensure that I continue to talk about topics that are of interest to new Linux users. 
because we've had to continue to have uh, topics that were fairly high level and fairly introductory. Uh, and so that's that's been a, a very good uh, springboard for me to ensure that can, that going Linux continues to address the needs of new Linux users, which of course is our stated charter. So uh, it's been good from that perspective. Uh, it's also been good to uh, have a, a, a radio audience, a live radio audience to uh, work with, and so. Uh, that's that's been a little different experience for me, um, as opposed to editing out a lot of the mistakes we make. It's been a good exercise to try to not make mistakes uh, as the live rec- as the live show progresses. So it's been good for me from that perspective. Although looking at the stuttering and stammering that I'm doing right now, Bill, <laughs> you'd never know that I did a live show at all. But anyway, well, you know. I have to say that that was a huge investment of time, and so I'm sure that you enjoyed your time, but just from my point of view, it's good to have you back just in, in our network, okay? Yeah, we'll be able to focus on some a uh, little more in-depth, as well as we're certainly not going to lose our focus on the new Linux user and helping folks to build their confidence and competence in using Linux as a new user, although... As Linux becomes more and more easy to install and easy to use, uh, the transition from other operating systems to Linux becomes easier and easier. And perhaps um, there is less of a need today for a podcast like Going Linux, but still Linux is less than 1% of the computer operating system users out there from a desktop perspective. So we've still got a long way to go. And if we want to increase the usership of Linux as a desktop operating system, we're going to still have a lot of new users out there who need some yeah. help transitioning over. So we're not going anywhere anytime well, that's, soon. That's that's good. I mean, like I said, there's people discovering Linux all the time and if we can help them that's what we uh, plan on doing yeah that's what we're here for that's for sure okay now Larry I'm sure you're tired of hearing this question but I'm gonna ask it was 2014 the year of the Linux desktop I have to say yes but not in the same way that you might think it was the year of the Chromebook (laughs) <laughs> okay. And since Chrome is based on Linux, that is the desktop from Linux that has taken over the world. Uh Chrome has become very very popular and with the introduction of the Chromebook from Google and the adoption of the Chromebook as a model for uh distribution by computer manufacturers, mainstream computer manufacturers like Acer, Asus, HP, uh, ThinkPad from uh, Lenovo and those folks. I think um, Linux in the form of the Chrome OS has really made great strides. Uh, I, I wish it had been a more mainstream Linux distribution that had been able to break through, but we'll take the success of Chrome and claim it for Linux as well. At least I will. Yeah, and I think part of the a reason that Linux has, and it's, uh, specifically Chromebook, ha- have uh, taken off is, you know, we've had that 
whole Windows XP, you know, uh, end of life. And there's a lot of people that just use their computers just to surf the web and check their email. And let's just face it, Windows 8 was not the most beloved version uh, ever put out. Right. So there's a lot of good distros out there, and I'll I'll, I'll say this right up front: Linux Mint and Peppermint. Uh, you know, Peppermint's a, a very light uh, distribution that can be used on some older hardware to to keep them fully functional and to meet the needs of of I won't say average people, but uh, the, of the normal per, uh, person. So. Even if you know they don't use a Chromebook, there's uh, distributions out there that uh, can meet the needs of uh, people without having to buy a brand new computer and trying to learn a whole new interface. Uh, because you know Windows 8 was such a, a, a change, so you know Linux Mint is if you can if you can run Windows. Seven or Windows XP, you can run Windows. Uh, oh, you can you can run Linux Mint and or Peppermint with very little uh, downtime because it's just familiar. So in that regards, I really do think that 2014 was a good year for Linux and a desktop. And also, it, I've noticed that there's a lot more uh, stuff out there now that just they doesn't care about what operating system you're running because it's a lot of it's done in the browser now. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's going to be helpful to folks running um, Chrome by choice, and for those switching to any sort of Linux, uh, whether that's um, uh, a Linux that runs on a computer, a Linux that runs on a tablet, or a Linux that runs on a phone. And maybe that's our cue for getting into our predictions for 2015. And I can talk a little bit about the Ubuntu phone. What? All right. Think? Go for it. Okay. So we mentioned at the top of the show that uh, Ubuntu phone is way behind schedule. And I said that I have some things to say around that for predictions for 2015. So the way I see Ubuntu's philosophy on their focus on the phone, and I don't think there's any argument that Ubuntu as or canonical as a corporation has been focused on the Ubuntu phone, almost to the exclusion, not quite, but almost to the exclusion of the focus on the Linux desktop and uh, Linux for servers and so on. So I predict that in 2015, the Ubuntu phone will be released and Ubuntu's desire to have a convergent technology, meaning that the same experience or a similar sort of experience on a phone, a tablet, uh, a desktop computer will become much closer to reality in 2015 with the release of the Ubuntu phone. I think we'll see that Canonical's philosophy for releasing a phone is going to be less evolutionary and more revolutionary to the operating systems on a phone um, market uh, if they do this right. And if they do it right, what will happen is that folks will realize that they can actually have a phone with all the power and capabilities of today's processors and RAM and, and operating systems on a phone, 
that are equivalent of a a full-fledged desktop or laptop computer not that long ago, uh, and that they can have a phone that's certainly capable of making phone calls and doing everything in the cloud on the internet that any other computer is capable of doing, including when you sit it in a dock and run it with your keyboard, mouse, and external display can be your full-fledged computer for your daily computing needs. Uh, and, And I think that's what canonical means by convergence yeah that's the direction that they're going in and my prediction for 2015 is i'm going to say just from what i've seen from 2014 that linux will continue getting better and better and at the end of 2015 uh, you you won't see uh, people having any trouble uh, using Linux, uh, I believe that we're finally getting to where people actually, when they hear Linux, they understand what it what it is, and and not everybody, but uh, more people are realizing that they uh, can use that to get their day to day computing needs accomplished. Yep, certainly more and more people will will adopt Linux in 2015 than have in the past, and. Uh, I think that's a good thing, and that only means good things for us here at Going Linux because that's what we're all about is helping people to make that switch. That's right. Okay, so I think that pretty much and it doesn't cover everything because we could be here for another five hours talking about everything Well, you know what? Yeah, it, it took a year for all that stuff to happen. Yeah, so I'm going to say that I think we've covered some of the highlights, and you know, like I said, we've enjoyed doing this podcast but I would like to know if you have an application pick. Uh, you know what? I've had quite a few application picks through the year. I'm going to pass at this point. Um, no. let's. Uh, how about you? Do you have something? Actually, it's not an application, but it, <laughs> but it is um, a little geeky. But I'm going to I'm going to name it as as one. Uh, I'd say one of the best things that come along as far as improvements in 2014 would be the uh, Butter file system, BTFS. And it's, they keep working on it. It's getting better and better. And just, I've listed some uh, of the features it has right now. And uh, first off, it's, I I don't even know if I can say this, it it supports uh, file sizes up to 16 Extabytes, is that right? I think that's what that is. <laughs> EIB, so, EIB, yeah. Mac, so you know it's two to the sixty fourth bytes. Yeah, two to the sixty fourth power. So I, I really don't think my Team Fortress files are ever going to get that large. So then, of course, you know they've been uh, it, writable snapshots, so you you can read and write these snapshots so you can take a picture of your system and that can be used to keep it running well uh, they've also increased the SSD flash storage awareness so that's you know as more and more computers use uh, f- uh, flash uh, or or uh, you know SSDs that it's good to know that you have an operating system that they actually built in uh, some features for it you know it wasn't an afterthought and I think one of the the coolest things is that uh, they can, can 
they working on the conversion from the ext3 and 4 file systems so apparently you're going to be able to convert uh, ext3 and 4 which are the older file systems that have served linux so well into the new uh, butter file system so that's pretty cool guys so bill thanks for a wonderful 2014 looking forward to 2015 which means that our next episode is listener feedback for 2015 January. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.